What if it rained food? What if Earth was a cube? What if we had nine lives? What if bits could fly? It's absurd. If money grew on trees, if we didn't have knees, if we walked through life slightly magnetical, it's absurd. Absurd hypotheticals. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. So I think before we get into this one today, guys, I kind of wanted to ask you if you would prefer this be reality or not reality, not based on what you did for your answer if it goes completely off the rails. So our question today is, what if no one had to eat? I would rather not have to eat. Hell no, I want to eat. I love eating. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather be able to eat but not have to eat. I feel like if I didn't have to eat, I just wouldn't. <laughs> like... It's weird. It's one of those things where I enjoy. F- I definitely enjoy food. I I enjoy cooking to a point, but the fact that I have to cook and eat every day drives me nuts. Where like I very often do not think it's like I think it'd be rare for me to say, "Oh, it's worth it to g- enjoy the experience of eating." That I'll actually stop and cook a bunch of stuff if I didn't have to eat. See, I like it as a luxury. I don't like it as a a necessity. I mean, I I I guess. I mean, like, okay, if you're gonna put it that way, we're like. It's either I literally have to or do not have to eat. I guess I'd prefer to not have to eat, but I probably still eat most of the time because I like food. What if I, what if I flipped it to never eat or have to eat? Have to eat, no question. Mm, I'd probably go never eat. I don't understand you, man. Save money, save time. I don't. I don't care. I want to eat. Eat great. Gotta eat those good, good things. I don't, I'm, I'm really. This would be a coin flip for me. I'm so much in the middle. I've just eaten some delicious black bean and plantain tacos, and I cannot give that up. Well, actually, that's that. Actually, I just realized that the worst part about not having to eat is that you're gonna marry somebody who does have to eat, and then you're still gonna have to cook. It just won't even be for you. I mean, I could live with that because I do like <laughs> cooking too. But also, I like eating at the end of it, so maybe not. I don't know. I would hate cooking and not eating what I cook. That would suck. <laughs> that would be terrible. <laughs> but yeah, we, we don't typically discuss a, our question as if a would you rather before ta- beforehand because we actually um, have real answers to have for this question. So, Ben, I'll start you off. What if no one had to eat? Yeah, so I, I'm i a big old nerd, as has been firmly established by this podcast. So I immediately started thinking about like the economic impact this would have because, I don't know, I saw a chance to look at numbers and stuff. So I, I kind of want to figure out, like, I guess, first off, just how much of, like, the U.S. economy is based around food. And this is actually pretty hard to figure out. Like, I, I'm not going to go into this now. I don't have an exact number because the data I found was not granular enough to get to that point. What I had to work with was a data set from the, the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis that um, basically took the GDP of the U.S. and breaks it down by industry. And the categories are unfortunately pretty broad. So the the ones that are, are definitely food related, but not completely food related are agriculture, forestry, fishing and hunting, and accommodation and food services. Those pretty clearly both have food related tasks involved. The other one that I did not initially realize did, but turns out it does, is uh, they had like in, in production, they had durable goods and non-durable goods i didn't know what that means it turns durable out durable goods <laughs> yeah so apparently apparently like the the line in like economics 
is a durable good is something that provides utility for more than three years. So food is included in non-durable goods, but also like clothing and like light bulbs and stuff too. So I don't know. I very much like the fiction that my head generated where a durable good is anything that survives like a six foot fall. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like technically like, like iPads are durable goods. <laughs> yeah. A- approximately half the generation of iPhones fall into durable goods. The other half don't. Right. Yeah. It, it alternates by year. <laughs> But uh, those three categories combined to be about 10.2% of the U.S. GDP, which feels like a, sounds like a lot at first. Also, I realized that obviously there are things in those categories that are not food related, but I know that also there would be impacts outside of those categories for like shipping and stuff like that, that, you know, would be affected. So I'm just going to run with 10% because it's a nice round number and it's close enough. That's a loss of about $2 trillion from the U.S. GDP, um, which feels pretty big. And I was hoping it was going to be some big, huge, drastic number, but it turns out that that shift is only like three years of GDP growth. So it's actually not that big of a loss, it turns out. Or just, you know, what we're already doing in 2020. Well, yeah. Also, yeah. <laughs> it's funny you should talk about that because let's talk about employment because I couldn't get it in overall GDP, but maybe we can find some fun stuff in employment. So some more thing I want to figure out how many just like jobs are, are food related. And I found a pretty similar data set that was fortunately a little more granular from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, still 2018 numbers. In 2018, there were 155.76 million jobs in the U.S. And the food-related jobs I found made up about 14.36 million of those. Um, the breakdown was kind of fun. So this was stuff was like, like 11.5 million was like food prep and serving. So, you know bartenders, various levels of cook. Somehow both waiters and waitresses and food and beverage serving and related workers. I don't know what the difference of those are. But you know that you had like, you know, fishing and hunting related jobs, which was not much. Um and like agriculture. And then you had like a lot of management and stuff. And then like bakers and butchers. There are a surprisingly large number of bakers and butchers in the US apparently. They combined to be like 300 something thousand which is kind of crazy to me it just feels like a lot i don't know that like one in every what 10 people in the u.s is a baker or a butcher <laughs> or sorry one how in many candlestick makers do we have though <laughs> i that i did not find i could find it for you in this data set probably um i just said one every 10 i meant one every 100 clearly that was a very bad very bad match <laughs> <laughs> one in 10 people is a baker also i think it's actually one every thousand i'm really off my game today guys <laughs> Anyway, point being, point being, overall, in directly food-related jobs, it looked like it was about 9.2% of the jobs in the U.S. in 2018, which, speaking of what's going on right now in the country, is roughly the same as COVID-related job loss right now. <laughs> so I guess, you know, the current impact is kind of what would happen if suddenly no one ate. And once again, obviously, this ignores a lot of things. You know, there's a lot of, like, truckers will be out of work because they you know supply food to grocery stores grocery stores in general are not included in that that i saw unless that was somehow in that one weird like no that wasn't in food and beverage serving yeah i don't know i couldn't figure out where like the like retail category wasn't broken down in a way that i could see like things that were specifically food related so it would be higher than 9.2 percent but that was at least a a decent you know a very large chunk of it i mean i feel like grocery stores would be a majority of it right um so I think I think that like restaurants are actually probably higher. If you think about like 
Because like if you talk about jobs, yeah, yeah, like less people work at a grocery jobs, store right. than work at you know the restaurants in the same town. Yeah, I would guess that the grocery store has what like forty full time employees, like a normal sized grocery store, forty, fifty. I don't know. I'm pulling numbers entirely on my ass right now. I don't know. It's less than a hundred, but if you figure Never that a given store. given a <laughs> it's small, it's it's smaller than well, a bread box. Like, of it's, it's less it's less than a hundred, and even a like small restaurant probably has a staff of at least like eight to ten. Yeah, if you figure like. Yeah. three cooks and That's like reasonable. one front of house and like four waiters or something i don't know like yeah and and take it up because you have people on different shifts and all right that. exactly i'm gonna uh, my, my 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 folks have a restaurant i know how my employees they have but oh, yeah. it's uh can... they have a they have a bigger restaurant that's now intermixed with the deli next door so i would say for a medium successful restaurant like a medium-sized successful restaurant you probably got like somewhere between t- 20 and 30 employees yeah so even if even if you figure that across shifts and stuff, a grocery store employs like 150 people, you're going to have more from restaurants and stuff. So, yeah, so there would definitely be be, you know, a lot of jobs that would not be in the economy, which is, is a bad thing. But once again, it's not like a, a ridiculous number. Other things, other things that would change. So one thing that I f- actually wasn't thinking about until I just happened to see this graph um, on a one of the places I was looking for data, I never thought about how much does like the average U.S. household spend on food? And it turns out it's actually the the th- the how do I say this? <laughs> third third most not expensive third most like third largest expenditure. Sure, we'll go with that of the average American household. Man, I rolled right on through that one. Behind only housing and transportation, but roughly thirteen percent of the average U.S. household's um, expenditure was on food. Uh, in 2018 so even though there are you know lower gdp and fewer jobs less money each month <laughs> i'm trying I'm, I'm going for it here also not included in that which i meant to bring up before we start recording actually do people still drink um hmm. i mean yeah like i took my hypothetical as they don't need water do people drink alcohol probably <laughs> so so this gets into it so it gets into something that i i thought about going out at one point I don't know how that works because alcohol is calories and I don't know how calories work anymore. <laughs> you don't have to eat. Oh yeah. We didn't, yeah. we didn't talk about that. So, um, That's as far as kind of the human body, how it functions, we're sidestepping that issue and yeah. not addressing that. It magically works. I boldly went, offered to go into a photosynthesis route before I got shut down by my fellow co-hosts. <laughs> yeah, the no. question is not are, what if we were plants? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I kind of just assume that like your body magically makes however much energy exactly that you need. I don't know what like, we sort of sidestep the whole question of like, oh, what if you did eat food anyway? Because madness lies that way. <laughs> I don't know how alcohol works, but I guess if no one drinks alcohol, either entertainment and alcoholic beverages, which is a broad category, but whatever guys go off with 6.3%. So you can lump some of that in with the food as well. So I guess you're spending like, Maybe 15% less each month. That's cool. So the average budget for alcohol is half of the food budget? No, it would be it would be half of the entertainment budget, which is probably a little high. Although, uh, Wait, so the food was, was 12.3, right? Was the so entertainment and alcoholic beverages is 6.3%. Um, which is just a, a weirdly broad category to put like buying beer and like going bowling. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when you put it that way, they seem pretty related to me. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. You know, you make a very compelling argument. Point being, you're probably spending like 13 to 15% less per month. So you can, I mean, if you don't have a job because you are a butcher, it doesn't really help you, but whatever. 
Point being, you're just spending less. So that's cool. But obviously, there are also there are obviously lots more of you know less obvious impacts aside from just straight you know economy is worse because of that and people lose jobs. So one of the things I want to look at was what businesses are going to be like drastically affected by having food that you wouldn't think of. And the first one I found was movie theaters. A very very large amount of movie theater revenue comes from like concessions, obviously. Um, the actual number is about 35%. And I, I calculated that assuming that movie theaters want to keep the same revenue, which feels reasonable, tickets have to cost about one and a half times as much um, if they were not, you know, if no one was buying concessions. So that would suck. So, you know, that's cool. Yeah, there goes my whole booze. There goes my booze money. There's about right, 6.3%. Exactly, yeah. I was hoping theme parks would be the same, but it turns out that theme parks actually just have really expensive tickets, which I guess I knew already. <laughs> uh, they only get like 30% of the res- revenue from food, so they'd be okay. <laughs> I was really hoping that going to Disney World is going to cost like $600 now, but it's just that Disney World's stupid expensive as it is, so. Yeah. Why would you hope that, Ben? Jeez. I guess it's a fun number. I don't know. Whatever. Going to Disney World is specifically not fun. <laughs> but, well, hold on. <laughs> not going to Disney World is specifically not fun. There you Yeah, that's, there we go. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I think we can all agree. Disney World is fun. Disney World is, we're not going to, we're not going to make a, a big bold claim like that on this podcast. And so I, I was really sad because I didn't actually like the, the weirdest number I found was that like tickets going up for the movies, which isn't that much. So I'm going to sort of just end us with a question that came up as I was going through this and I couldn't think of a good answer to it. So, so let's, you know, so there's no more restaurants. There's probably no more bars. Where are people going to go on, on like first dates now awkwardly? There's no more coffee shops. Bowling alleys. Bowling, I was going to say bowling. bowling alleys. Oh man. Disney World. Disney World. Disney World. <laughs> Disney World, it costs 13% more. So it's now, you know, $270 for a ticket. There will be standing buildings where people can stand together. <laughs> it's just, it's just a, it's just a bar that doesn't actually have alcohol. They just like, I guess, I guess you could still have like a club. Yeah, you, get, you have clubs, you have dance places, you have uh, billiard halls are fun. God, how awkward is a club with no alcohol? Never been. <laughs> <laughs> Never tried it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Never been to a club without drinking. <laughs> I guess that's apparently what I have. <laughs> Chris, what did you do? Uh, that, that was the end. <laughs> <laughs> Ben's quality. This is, ben, this is probably Ben's best episode ever. It's great. Yeah, so when I was looking at if nobody ate anymore my first thought was that like we're not eating animals anymore so the animal population will go up and there'll just be more animals um and that got me thinking about animals specifically and that animals are also somebody so also animals don't eat anymore i think it's adorable that when you you just decide to include like no one oh that includes animals animals are right people too. animals are not people but animals are somebody we said nobody eats anymore <laughs> i it's that's fair. I I would call it a dog a somebody. I don't know if I would call an animal somebody, but I'm not gonna. Uh, you're, it's too adorable for me to dispute you. Really, <laughs> I think I'm in Marcus's camp here. So continue, Chris. So obviously, like if if people don't have to eat anymore, it's easier to survive because we don't have to worry about food anymore. But it's if you look at animals, that's like just compounded because they are actually like in the food chain, so they have to worry about starving, but then they also have to worry about being eaten by predators. And I found a a study called Patterns of Mortality in the Wild Population of White-Footed Mice from 2014. And they said that there's a 50% chance of survival of the white-footed mouse over 
29 days. So like after 29 days of the life of a mice, a white-footed mouse, 50% chance it'll be alive. And 93 of those, 93% of, of those dead mice are due to predators. So a lot of mice die because they get eaten. So obviously if they don't have to worry about predators and the survival rate skyrockets, they, they live a lot longer. I did find other sources that said that they live for a year in the wild. I don't know why there was there is that disparity between the study and other sources, but either way, they they said that mice in capa- in uh, captivity they can live up to three years. So either way, it's like the same point. They live a lot longer. That makes them a durable good. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> so there will be a lot more animals. Animals won't starve and they won't die from being eaten, but they still will die. They will get they will get injured and die from that they'll die from disease they'll die from old age there are a lot of different ways to die that are not food related so though so animals will die so what happens to their bodies that was my next question and i started to get into decomposition do they decompose because oh yeah <laughs> decomposer uh, things decompose because like bacteria and stuff like are eating at them right so i, I started to look more into that and they're actually like there's a difference between decomposers and what they call detritivores. So I'm going to I'm going to focus on the detritivores first. The so detritivore is that it includes like worms, millipedes, slugs, anything that's like considered a bottom feeder. Um, that's a detritivore, and they are classified as eating dead organisms. So they eat the dead organisms, organisms, and that aids in the decomposition process. And since nobody can eat anymore, detritivores are somebody. <laughs> So detritivores can't eat anymore. <laughs> we need to assure that it says it just says detritivores are people too. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, that's that's kind of a problem if um if detrit if detritivores that's such a hard word to say. Detritivores. <laughs> like literally in my notes, every time I write detritivores, I have the phonetic spelling afterwards. I like I like how you, you, you complain so much about this, but it's entirely your choice to talk about detritivores. Mm, well, it's part of the topic. I'm not going to skip over it just because I can't say the word. <laughs> you could have possibly found anything else to talk about. <laughs> so, so that's detritivores. What about decomposers? Because I specified that there is a difference. So decomposers include things like fungi and bacteria. And decomposers don't digest food internally what they do is they go through a process called extracellular digestion so they secrete enzymes that break down the food into smaller uh, molecules outside of their body and then they absorb those smaller molecules through different processes like diffusion osmosis or phagocytosis phagocytosis which is like they have plasma membrane they like engulf it in their plasma membrane and humans actually utilize a form of extracellular digestion with our saliva so when when we eat something or we excrete we excrete saliva from our uh our glands what are they called they have a name but i don't know what they are what it is it's some sort of gland <laughs> secretes uh saliva and breaks down the food and we chew it and that's that's extracellular digestion and then we swallow it and that goes through a digestive tract decomposers don't have a digestive tract so they just absorb the nutrients from outside so i was like does this count as eating i, I wasn't sure i had to kind of like figure this out so i looked up the definition of eating and according to merriam webster's definition of of to eat 
It's to take in through the mouth as food, ingest, chew, and swallow in turn. So according to Merriam-Webster, this is not eating. So decomposers don't eat. They're still somebody, but they don't eat, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> and <laughs> they still break down bodies, and bo things will st still decompose. The thing is, even though they are still decomposing, detritivores are responsible for up to 80% of the total decay rate. So since detritivores can't eat anymore, the decomposition process is a lot slower. And what this leads to is that there's an imbalance in the atmospheric CO2. So like all life is carbon-based. So like trees, they store carbon in the form of cellulose. And then like humans are made up of partly carbon. So we have, we're made, of, made up of 18.5% carbon. So it's just a way of storing carbon. And then once the living thing, once the tree or the human dies and decomposes, then the carbon is released as carbon dioxide again. Um, that's just like the carbon cycle. You've gone very quickly from everybody is somebody to we're just methods of storing carbon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're still somebody. <laughs> trees, trees are somebody. <laughs> Tree and trees still grow and be, and they still grow at the same rate and they go through photosynthesis. But photosynthesis isn't eating, according to Merriam-Webster. So they are still somebody, but they're not eating. I'm saying that all living stuff is, is somebody, so. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's somebody. Everybody's somebody. And digestion is also a way that carbon is released in the atmosphere. So if you eat something, then, then it releases carbon dioxide. So since digestion and digestion isn't happening and decomposition is going way slower, CO2 levels are going to lower. Or they're gonna, there's going to be an imbalance. Um, and what this will result in is that We'll have the opposite opposite problem of what we have now. We're going to have global cooling. So my question was: Would this lead to an ice planet? Is this Marcus? Is this a Marcus answer? <laughs> I, but I think there are ways to prevent this. It, it's pretty easy. There are other ways to release carbon dioxide into the atmosphere besides decomposition and digestion. And an easy way to do this is just to burn things. So setting fires releases carbon dioxide. So I started looking into things that we could burn. And obviously, I went to trees first. So trees, if we burn trees, it's actually like doubly efficient because trees absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and they also store carbon in their cellulose. So if we get rid of trees, then as double the effect of uh, carbon dioxide released into the atmosphere, it'll solve our problem. Plus, fire is pretty warm. So <laughs> yeah, we can heat our ice planet. The thing is that we, we use our trees for other things that are not environment related, like construction. And we use a lot of it, actually. So if we burn all of our trees, we're going to run out of trees. We're actually kind of already on that, that path right now of running out of trees. And this will just accelerate that. So that's not a good thing. I don't think burning trees would be an option. Obviously, there are fossil fuels that we could burn. But again, that's not sustainable. That's not a, we're going to run out of fossil fuels eventually. Um, and if we're actively burning fossil fuels, like right now we're trying to not burn a lot of fossil fuels because it's not good for the environment because we have too much CO2. But if we're act actively doing it, we're going to run out a lot faster. So those are two unsustainable ways to release carbon dioxide. So I started searching for sustainable ways to increase carbon emissions. That's like, I think that's literally the term that I searched, sustainable ways to increase carbon emissions. 
and I did not find anything, as expected. <laughs> Can't believe no one's on this. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually probably a good thing that I didn't find anything, because I don't think I would want that website to exist. <laughs> so, yeah, we would have a CO2 problem. It would be the opposite problem of what we have right now. And I didn't find a definitive solution, but I do, like, I think probably the best option is that we would create a job where it's just your job to, because things are still dead in the wild. So people just go searching in the wild for dead things and burn them. And that would be a job. (laughs) And that's a cool job. Yeah. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) I don't know, maybe. And that would theoretically counter our CO2 our co2 problem so we create more jobs i guess i mean that's good we need them yeah (laughs) (laughs) we need need those jobs even if that job is just like is is throwing down your face shield and and being like time to save the planet while you burn a bambi or whatever yeah burn a bambi (laughs) burn a bambi i mean if you don't do it then they're just gonna build up in the in the forest there's just gonna be a bunch (laughs) of a pile of bambis yeah it's got to be done. Someone's got to do it. I don't know what this position would be called, but it, someone it's, has it's to do it. It's a Bamburner. Bamburner, yeah. Bamburner. <laughs> there we go. So that's what I got. Marcus, what do you do? So as we've been talking about, not having to eat really does shake things up like a lot. And so as I was looking into it, it ended up being so many changes that I really want to go back and just look big picture and how civilization might develop as a whole differently if from the get-go we didn't have to eat i'll say i'll say here i do not consider animals and plants and detrivores and trees animals are somebody (laughs) trees are are not somebody's who they may be somebody's but they are somebody's who still have to eat so looking at the the building blocks of you know civilization and all that the first thing is just early migration and exploration like you know we start off in Africa and gradually made our way around the planet and, you know, eventually built up to where we are today. Um, so for for about 90% of the time the, the modern quote-unquote humans have existed, we've been a hunter-gatherer society. And this quest for food was the driving factor um, for human exploration. And not so much that, like, we would be on the, you know, constantly moving, 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 but more that when their climate change started to impact areas, it forced people into new areas. A prime example of this is actually the, the main human migration out of Africa. So modern humans are about 200,000 years old as a species. And it wasn't until about, it wasn't until about like 70,000 years ago that they actually really started to move into Eurasia. And the main reason for this was the drying climate of the Sahara. So before that, they... You know, Northern Africa was in the what they call the wet Sahara phase. And so the Sahara Desert would have actually had significantly more rainfall and been able to support things like rivers, lakes, and, you know, fauna and be a, a survivable place instead of just like big giant desert that nobody wants to be in anymore. So the question is then, if we don't need to move because of food requirements, because, you know, you know, we wouldn't have had to migrate away just because the food went away because we wouldn't have needed it. Would we even have left Africa at all? And what would be the new driving force behind human exploration? And I think early on, the main thing will still be, like, safety survival. And this is just because it's not, you know, we aren't eating anything else, but it doesn't mean things aren't trying to eat us. So interestingly, I think this would result in humans favoring less fertile areas where they'd expect to see fewer predators. So you'd see, like, a lot of, like, a lot more, like, cave dwelling, mountain climbing... 
Um, and I think ocean sailing, if I think about it, the ocean is actually like the perfect place to protect yourself from predators. Cause you can just go out, you can just drift out there and you really don't need to come back for any particular reason. <laughs> like you don't need to stock up on food or anything while you're, you know, while you're out on the ocean. But once we find those safe places, kind of, kind of, where does, what does it look like from there? I'm going to fast forward on the timeline a bit uh, and talk briefly about the last thing we'd ever need, which is agriculture. So agriculture kind of as a practice only began about 10 to 12,000 years ago, which is pretty short if you're looking at our whole timeline of, you know, 200,000 years. And it's kind of hard to overstate how important farming is to human development because it did a few things. So first it allowed us to more densely populate an area because we could generate about 10 to 100 times more calories per acre than with our hunting hunter-gathering methods. Second, it's really the first thing that was tying us to staying exactly in one spot to start, like, building, you know, more permanent structures and really forming, uh, like, close communities. So it's really the combination of these two things, which is what allows the first real, you know, villages and cities to start to form. And not only that, because now we've built these villages and farms and all that, it opens up the average person to something that the hunter-gatherers never really had, and that's free time. So, not that the hunter-gatherers never had, you know, a moment to themselves, but once people could stop stressing about the omnipresent hunt for food and making sure, you know, you, you were going out in the morning and, you know, gathering berries and picking up bugs and hunting animals and all these different things, that was basically the main, what you did with your days, that was making sure you had enough food to make it to the next one. And once you know, people didn't have a role related to hunter-gatherings, you start to get things like scholars, engineers, artists, all the building blocks of, you know, modern society. So in our no-one-needs-to-eat hypothetical world, we get to do something cool, which is basically skip over the whole developing agriculture step in our development and reap the benefits of both being able to support desert populations and having free time right away. So effectively, we, we kickstart our modern civilization to like 15 times earlier than we developed so far. So by the time we hit 2020 today, it would be incredibly advanced because the equivalent 2020, as far as, you know, society starting to develop from villages to today. So instead of 2020, it would still be 175,000 BC. Like it would just be so far in the past. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And not only that, I think even compared to, you know, even if you just looked at it on a similar time scale, like say we just took this and ran it from the same year, I think even then our population would still be way higher because even in today's world, food does play a limiting factor on population growth. There really wouldn't be that. Like there's, you can just keep expanding, um, you know, you can just keep making more people and there's really not anything limiting how many people can live in a space. You don't need to have an equivalent amount of farmland to support it. And, uh, like, you'll still have, you know... there'll be I'm sure there'll be some things that I'm not thinking of right now that would limit cities a bit, but, like, not too much. And you can put them basically anywhere. I I thought about this a little bit, just kind of when I was, like, thinking of the question. And I think that, really, the only... The only limiting factor you have is, like, waste management and just overall, like, cleanliness. That's pretty much it. But do you even poop if you don't eat? I guess that's true. But there's other waste... There's other wastes. You have a but the garbage poop and stuff. The main one. I mean, Horse poop I have, could be I have a trash can with, with, with garbage that's not poop. <laughs> yeah, but a, a lot of our trash is food related. That's true, I guess. 
construction materials would also be a limiting factor. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So I'll, I'll say this. So basically, tying it back to you know ex- the, our, our exploration, tying it all together, the ne- the thing that's going to actually drive us to go out and explore the world is going to be just the natural curiosity of developed humans just being wanting to see what's out there and, you know, increase population, overpopulation, you know, whatever gets us going. And really, if you think about it, we're basically now the perfect explorers because, like we're saying, as long as we have air to breathe, there's really no limits on what we need to survive, like, a journey. You could canoe across the Atlantic without a real worry besides, like, inclement weather. And even space travel, like, it becomes significantly easier when you don't have to, like feed those pesky astronauts or <laughs> heck like your mars colonists well, matt damon like, doesn't have to grow potatoes yeah matt damon have to grow potatoes is how much stuff he would have done he would have been <laughs> off mars like way earlier or just been like hey this is fine so basically if we didn't have to eat human population would just explode we would explore everywhere we'd be in space we'd be having a fantastic time it would explode, not literally. Yeah, I was going to say, normally when we see human population would explode, we mean it literally. So it's really nice <laughs> to have a change of pace where... <laughs> yeah, this is the first time I'm not literally exploding people and just having people be like everywhere and happy. I'm going to put one, because it does. it's not an episode without us, you know, ruining things. I'm going to put one asterisk here. And I'm going to say, the way I'm looking at it, nature is more than likely effed. So here's the thing, like... It's this in-between period. Like, not, I'm not thinking, you know, not the equivalent of 2020-20 humans that are, you know, super advanced in, in space and everything. It's the in-between time when we are developing societies and we realize all these dangers, so, you know, some diseases, predators, even, like, inconveniences, like, you know, pests. For us, there's really going to be no motivation to protect any of these animals at all. Like, what's our motivation for protecting the environs we're in? We don't need it. The only thing we would really need is, like, the oxygen from, like, the trees to, you know, to keep breathing. And there's even a gap in here where we wouldn't know the oxygen comes from trees. Yeah, there's, there's, I think there's gonna, there's a risk that there's a gap between our understanding of the climate implications of destroying all the nature versus the short-term benefits of Man, I sure love that there's no wolves in my town. And the quickest way I found out to get rid of wolves is by getting rid of the rabbits they eat. And the quickest way of getting rid of rabbits is just by destroying all the grass. Because nobody needs that grass shit. It's just in the way. And so once we figure out that we can destroy the food chain to, you know, protect ourselves, we probably would. Yeah. (laughs) So on one hand, we evolved into a beautiful space traveling society. On the other we, you know, we took Paradise, turned into a parking lot, and then suffocate to death. Flip a coin. Flip a coin. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a kind of a dis or dat situation. <laughs> which is perfect, which is a good warm-up, because we're going to have another dis or dat situation in a second when we move on to our Would You Rather. Chris, would you rather have an alarm clock that wakes you up to the smell of breakfast? Or one that greets you with positive affirmations. Mm, the breakfast one. That was easy. Oh, <laughs> uh, see, um, we're going to have an argument here. See, I don't want to be woken up with the smell of breakfast because then I just want to immediately eat breakfast. And when I think smell of breakfast, I think a lot more of breakfast than I can usually make for myself before work. So I'm just going to start my day with disappointment every day. Mm, that is true. I am going to be too lazy to actually make the breakfast. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's the that's the problem is that if you start off with that beautiful smell of breakfast, it's great when there is breakfast. But if there's no breakfast, it's a pretty big betrayal. Yeah. Okay, positive aff- affirmations. That was easy. <laughs> well, so here's the other thing. How many positive affirmations do you get from your alarm clock before they start to sound sarcastic? Mm. <laughs> also, well, also just like if you wake up and you're kind of in a shitty mood when you first wake up, it's always going to sound sarcastic. Yeah, so it's like, do you want to just have that like ravenous hunger in the morning or do you want to just start your day with it's like you are a beautiful person and you're just like f you not true <laughs> the hunger thing would get me to wake up so it could actually eat something though <laughs> it'd be more effective i think well as usual you've chosen efficiency over any semblance of joy <laughs> well you're saying that the positive affirmation thing is bad too but it's easier to ignore and it defeats the purpose of the alarm clock than if you don't actually wake up but they're very loud, positive affirmations that do wake you up. Okay. You're a champion! <laughs> important important question. What would your breakfast alarm clock smell like? Yeah, they, can you, like, choose? Ooh. I feel like it's just got to be, I think it's got to be classic bacon and eggs on all weekdays, and the weekend is, like, French toast pancakes. That's kind of what I was thinking, too. Because I feel like a lot of breakfast food doesn't have, like, a particularly... Mm, cereal smell. Yeah, it's that soggy Lucky Charms ain't <laughs> mm, what I want to wake up to. Yeah. <laughs> smells like frosted flakes. My nose is bleeding. I mean, bacon bacon is probably the strongest smell. Yeah. Breakfast smell. Like, do I just want to smell... I don't know if I want to smell bacon every morning. It's hard to decide when I would get sick of that. <laughs> Actually, the probably the most effective alarm clock would be one that smells like coffee, because... The second I, like, smell my coffee in the morning, I immediately have to poop every time. And that would get me out of bed. <laughs> that doesn't happen to me. <laughs> like, I don't even have to drink. I don't even have to drink it anymore. My body's just so trained. That's hysterical. So we've established that the the the, the, ma- the magical breakfast smell or the positive affirmations of our clock are both negatives. Yeah. Which I love. I mean, I'm not surprised by this. Both of these sound pretty hellish, honestly. <laughs> not, like... These were definitely written in this book with the intent of it being like a choice between two good things. Right. I mean, an alarm clock is not necessarily supposed to be a pleasant experience. It's supposed to wake you up and you don't want to wake up. It's supposed to be neutral. I'd rather have a pleasant experience. This is the would you rather. You can have one of these two alarm clocks, which one makes your life better. Right. So you're saying both of these are worse than a normal alarm clock. I would say so. I think the positive affirmations might be better well, my see, my alarm clock is weird. I so the way I do it, it's negative affirmations. <laughs> so the way that my I set my alarm clock is I put it on radio, and I just I don't even know what station it's on. It's just on a random station, but I make it loud enough so that I immediately turn it off. Why do you use the radio then? Well, she just used an alarm. Because the alarm is an annoying sound, and the radio is less annoying, but it still wakes me up if it's super loud, and I hear like the first like five words of what they're saying and some sort of like news or something <laughs> i love the idea i love that you don't know what your alarm clock you use every day is on so it actually used to be in between stations it was just static but i think at some point i shifted it <laughs> you and now is, it's where did, what is your thought process oh i just need a loud noise this static will do i literally don't care what i hear when i wake up this it's is incredible. just to get me it's just to wake me up like a lot of people say they their alarm clock is music and they just listen to the music while they're in bed i don't want to do that i just want to turn it off and wake up <laughs> this is the most util- utilitarian thing i've ever heard so it is except that he's not just using your alarm clock like 
<laughs> That's more utilitarian. <laughs> it's a preference, but it's just such a slight minor preference for not one thing. It's, it's very, very good. So, oh like, doing the positive affirmation thing, that's kind of similar to it. If it's, like, a very loud affirmation, then that's kind of similar to what I already do. I'm not going to listen to what he says. I just hear whatever the five positive words are, and then I turn it off. So, I'm I'm worried that the positive affirmations wouldn't wake me up. Because I do have, particularly when I was in high school at least, I have a history of be, like not waking up from people directly talking to me while I'm sleeping and me like responding to them with coherent sentences that I don't remember. So I'm worried that my brain just wouldn't actually wake up. You know, it would just be like, thanks, man, and I go back to sleep. Would the smell of breakfast wake you up? I don't I, know. I don't know like how that would fun- like I don't know if that would wake me up. I don't know either. I think if it was like a sudden change in smell, I think your brain would wake you up to it. Would it? I don't know. I feel like, like, I feel like if I feel like your body would respond to it. Like, I th- like if you smelled smoke, I think your body would wake up. Do people die in their sleep in fires a lot? I don't think so. I I don't know. I don't have enough experience waking up to breakfast smells to to know if it actually wakes me up. Yeah, I think I've actually ever done it. Well, I mean, it might have happened to me at some point, and I just thought I just woke up on my own. I never connected it to the breakfast smell. I feel like I've always lived far enough, far enough away from the kitchen that... Apparently, Brown University studied it, and people cannot rely on their sense of smell to awaken them. Mm. So, unrealistic, would you rather? Well, magically, what if it was a magical alarm clock that did wake you up with the smell? Of I guess, okay. yeah. I guess we should just assume that both of them work. Yeah. And it's just how we'd rather be woken up. Which takes away your argument that you don't think the positive affirmations would wake you up. This is true. This is true. Okay. I I think I'm ready to settle here. I I can go last. I think, as I do sometimes, I'm going to pick the one that I think is slightly worse to make my life better overall. I'm going to pick the smell of breakfast one because while it is a deep, deep betrayal, I think it will actually encourage me to eat breakfast, which is a habit I am completely out of. And I think I should get into, I think eating breakfast is good for the body, and I just don't do it. But would you make would you make a good breakfast, or you just have, like, cereal? Honestly, either is an improvement. <laughs> so I'm landed on smell of breakfast. I think I'll also go with smell of breakfast, because even though I'm not going to... It'll get me to wake up easier, because it'll make me hungry. And even though I'm not going to make that good breakfast, I'm still going to have breakfast. I, I'm probably going to have a bowl of cereal. I like cereal, so... <laughs> It'll just, it'll be a pleasant cereal experience with the smell of a good breakfast. I think I'm going to go with positive affirmations, mostly because I definitely get annoyed when there's even a pleasant smell that lingers in my apartment for a long time. If it's not like, oh yeah, does the, does the scent go away? That's kind of what question. I'm, that's kind of what I'm thinking, right? Is like, like if I light a candle, I'm like, oh, this is a nice candle. And then two hours later, it still smells like vanilla. I'm like, why the fuck is my apartment like vanilla still? I mean, how long does breakfast smell usually last normally? It's just, it would match that same I mean, duration. if it's bacon, bacon can last for a while. That bacon smell is is intense. So I'll go, I'll go pause affirmations. And, uh, you know, I think, you're, I think your argument is somewhat sound, so I'm not even going to yell at you for it. Oh, that's unexpected. I was literally going to say positive affirmation, then I, like, changed it at the last second. So <laughs> I'm really on the fence, but I'm still going to stick with breakfast. This is surprisingly good. Would you rather be based on Did not know, expect how that. I felt about when I first read yeah. it? But anyway, listeners, if your alarm clock is set to a station that is just static, you can get a big improvement on that. 
by switching that static over to our secret, exclusive, not so secret because I'm telling you about them, behind the scenes episodes, which are available for a single dollar per month through our Patreon. Go to www.patreon.com slash absurd hypotheticals. Hit that become a patron button. Help us support the show. Um, your support means the world to us, and you do get access to our monthly behind-the-scenes episode where we talk about all the things that we've, you know, how we make the show, what we've done on the show, we try out new things, we make Ben drink milk sometimes, and it's all good fun. It's not just regular milk. <laughs> it's just milk. <laughs> ben, drink some milk. I like okay. milk. It was spicy milk. It wasn't <laughs> even that bad. Uh, but anyway... Join us next week when we answer the following question. What if you could perfectly train cats?